0: is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by the ThePilotReport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and
1: welcome to another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number five, where it's all about you. We've taken all of the listener mail over the last few weeks and compiled it into an episode where we're going to sit down this evening and uh, share all the answers to some of the questions that you've sent in. So tonight I'd like to welcome aboard once again um, Rick, Carl, and Victoria. How are you guys doing this evening? Wonderful.
2: Good. How are you? Good,
3: Good. Doing great. Doing great.
1: Episode number five. We're moving along, guys yeah it's great I believe it's, it. It is. there's
3: times where i think we should do more episodes but i think this is a good pace so far
1: so far so far it seems to be yeah. let's do
0: the pre-flight
1: for a quick recap on uh, one of the one of the listener mails that was sent in uh a gentleman named mike wanted to comment on when we were talking in episode two about uncontrolled airports this is just a a quick reference that he uses. Uh, in episode two, we talked about uncontrolled airports and using different airport diagrams. And uh, Mike likes to use an application on the iPad called Motion X. And he says that he uses it in satellite mode to basically see himself moving around the airport. And he uses it, like I said, at uncontrolled airports that, or at uh, uncontrolled airports and airports that don't necessarily have any sort of. Um, Depicted taxi diagrams in the system. So I thought that was a great little bit of information. I haven't actually used that. Has anybody else tried that uh, that method before? Um, I, I'm aware of
3: the software. I've not tried it uh, in the cockpit while taxiing. I, I, I get I get how it could work, and and I would only caution the the precision level of that of that GPS and those maps mm-hmm. and the, whatever delay factor there is. It's it's sort of a support piece not a precision piece so right. look out the window and, and then reference it for where you are but yeah it makes sense it's very cool you could almost use any um any of the map applications that come with those I- ios devices uh because they do put a dot right where you are
1: true and i i've noticed uh i guess maybe not necessarily with the ios device but even since some of the more rural areas just using google maps in general sometimes the uh the level of detail you know, in a in a remote place isn't necessarily the same as when right. you're in a metropolitan area. So you may, you know, that could be, I guess, one of the factors in determining good, what yeah. what another's piece of software is. It may work for you wherever that's you're good, operating. That's
3: a good cautionary note for sure. Yeah.
1: Did he mention what he uses normally at
4: other airports besides MotionX?
1: Um, I'm curious
4: if he did or not.
1: No, actually, it was just it was it was basically for uncontrolled airports without taxi diagrams. I used the satellite view on MotionX. Okay. And that was all. Uh, all they had sent in so um so yeah i haven't even tried it myself wow
4: that's, but, this brings up a good question though is there a software package out there or is there someone developing something where we will have that ability to taxi at airports that don't have diagrams you know and using some type of mapping software and you know right now we have safe taxi using for flight but those are for airports that do have diagrams right, right. i wonder this uh, does anybody know of one that's yeah. being developed yes
2: Well, Anywhere Map has something that just kind of G-references you on all their plates, whether they're taxi diagrams or like approach plates for instrument procedures. Mm -hmm. Um, We use that quite a bit, and if there's a taxiway that doesn't exist, it'll show you, you know, out in the little white area (laughs) um, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it definitely is helpful if you're a little bit confused about where you are and don't know exactly where to start. Um, I think any of those applications are helpful.
1: That's actually I'm glad you brought that up, Victoria, because I saw in one of your blog posts you mentioned Anywhere Map. Now, maybe if you could touch on that briefly, is it a, a, a software or a hardware? What exactly is it? I hadn't had the time to look it up.
2: Yep, what it is, it's basically like um, almost like an iPad. It's not a touchscreen. It runs uh, Windows. It's just a small little computer-like okay. thing, and um, it has all your approach plates. It acts as a GPS. It has XM Weather on it. Um, the neatest thing is it does plot you on your approach plate. So when you're doing an instrument procedure, you can see yourself. Um, same with the taxi diagram. It'll show that as well. It's a handy little thing. And I think there's several versions of it out there. I'm not sure which one, uh, we've been using. It's my boyfriend's, but it's been very, very helpful. I'm on so cross a... countries, unfamiliar airports. Yeah.
4: It, and that works on different platforms or on their own platform? Is it? That...
2: It's, um, it's a Windows-based uh, laptop, you know, Any, okay. So I, it's just a program that you load onto it. So once you turn it on, it looks like a normal computer. And then you just load up the Anywhere Map program, and it's there. So I'm guessing it could work on other um, devices. Yeah. I'm not really sure, though.
4: Gosh, I was always under the impression that it was only on their, their hardware. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to have to look into that. That's I'm,
2: great. I'm thinking it is, but... It looks like a normal computer when you turn it on. Gotcha. So I don't see why it couldn't be put on right, other devices. Right.
4: Wow. Well, I'd have to look that
3: up. What I think is interesting is that apparently it, it will put you on plates uh, with some degree of precision. And I know that was lacking in some of the earlier versions of Four Flight, and they're now there with that. So right. it's kind of cool that it's got that precision. So it's, I, I should look it up as
2: well. Well, we always use it as a backup, just in case it's not as precise. You know, you don't want to sure. rely yeah. on that, and of course, it's not legal to rely solely on right. that since it's handheld. But
3: the four flight guys, what was interesting about them is they withheld that capability until they felt they had precision. So, in fact, you still, if you're not running the right GPS additions to the iPad, uh, you it won't do it. I'm pretty sure. Is oh. that am I right about that, Len?
1: Uh I think you're correct and actually there's I have like noticed enhanced,
3: I think you have to pay the enhanced monthly fee for the ability to well, have Well that's that.
1: correct These, yes at least for that for <clears throat> that portion of it yeah. the um the increased expense uh I think it's almost double the normal subscription fee to have the geo referencing on the plates and it's actually pretty interesting I've just dabbled with it ever so lightly uh in the aircraft but it is pretty neat the the abilities for it and in fact um hmm and since you brought that up real quickly i noticed the other day that the ipad 2 in particular seems to have a little bit of a stronger better gps mm. receiver in it than my ipad 1 um it mm. it just it seems to pick up it seems to pick up signal quicker and hold it longer in some some aspects now i'm of course testing it under certain circumstances like in the cabin of the airplane and other places that aren't necessarily in direct view of the sky, uh, but it is I, I found that in some you know, some circumstances it's working a little bit stronger. Cool. Wow
4: good so. reason to buy a new
1: ipad <laughs> thanks Lynn. Yeah. hey no problem but hey be careful because I, yeah, i'm hearing right a lot of rumors fall. that number three might be coming out really sooner than late uh this fall instead of uh you know it's normally scheduled release time so yeah so oh on. no another, not another version <laughs> i know right i'm like crap i just bought mine i'm gonna have to get another one <laughs> well
3: thank and also just thanks to mike for mentioning that uh our listener or yeah. For mentioning MotionX, very cool.
1: So I guess uh, I one of the other submissions that I had this week actually on a couple of different levels. And at the time of recording here, something happened here in the United States a few, about a week, uh, week and a half ago or so. There was a, a, um, a an incident with a real stuck, mic transmission <laughs> out there, uh, with a Southwest Airlines airline pilot. Uh, who apparently had in, not realized that their microphone was transmitting and went on a bit of a a tirade as they call in the news uh, with some unprofessional language and some derogatory comments and uh, some folks wanted us to kind of touch upon this, and actually I think it sort of fits the theme anyway of flying both professionally and for pleasure and um, you know and being careful what you 're doing out there so the uh, the 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 episode with the stuck mic incident has been in the news for the last, uh, well, like like I said, about the last week or so. And, um, you know, Carl, what are your thoughts about this from a professional standpoint?
4: Well, no matter, you know, first of all, what he did was was wrong, and I would definitely step away from any any of those comments and say, "Gosh, that was unprofessional," and the person really does have have an issue. And I don't think any sensitivity training uh, will will be changing his his internal mind. But uh, now I think he'll be smarter about what he does externally. One thing we have to realize is, no matter what we say, from a professional pilot standpoint, it actually. It, it it reflects upon not only you, but also upon the airline and the industry as a whole. So mm-hmm. he put a black mark on not just himself, his airline, but but everybody, all airline pilots as a whole. And and we have to realize that that anything we do can have some strong ramifications. I tell you, you know, we we've all done some foolish things and uh, and said some silly things that we shouldn't have said, and taken out of context, you know, would would. Deem us being unprofessional. There was no taking. You didn't have to take any of his words out of context. He, he really was unprofessional in this manner, and that's mm-hmm. something that right now everybody in the industry is looking at. You know, where what's where is this level of professionalism we used to have? We need to get back to that, mm-hmm. and I think that that this is actually in a, in a good way. We can look at this at the industry and say to ourselves, okay, this happened. Now, what other areas in the industry can we look at as far as professionalism?
1: Mm-hmm. And what Agreed. we
4: can do to change that and make it better. Agree. But uh, you, you really, huh, I, it, it brings up some other issues, and we'll get to that on the technical side if you want to talk about the whole stuck mic issue, but uh, and and making sure that you know if you are pushing your mic that you are talking on the proper frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have we been on an airplane and? And heard the captain or first officer come on and say, Oh, we're clear for takeoff. And he was talking to the air traffic controller. Guilty. And, uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. And and not only that, you know, if you're in if you're in a in an environment with an airline, you you have to realize that you are being recorded in many ways. We have right. all sorts of recordings, all sorts of channels being recorded. Mm-hmm. Not only that, some of these flight attendants have, you know, they know the trick about how to you know, when you talk to them on the intercom, how not to hang up the intercom and make it look like they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're yeah. talking about, say, the flight attendant in the back with the first officer or with the captain, you know, realize that you may be heard. So in other words, you know, don't say anything you wouldn't want everybody to hear in the cockpit. So right. just don't do it. That's that's the bottom line right there.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It's not only, uh, at least in the airline world, we got the the cockpit voice recorder is recording everything from the, from all the intercom system and uh, the the three pilot positions on board, and even you know sometimes you're pushing back when the when the tug driver is connected, they can also they're hardwired into the interphone too. So if you say something out of line. Uh, You know, about something going on outside the aircraft, you may offend someone else as well because the other people can hear you in addition. Um, Rick, what do you think about this maybe from, uh, you know, a a professional pilot? I mean, you're a private pilot, but, you know, it's still a professional hobby, if you will, and an aspect of of respect in how we operate. But what are your thoughts on the incident?
3: I mean, you got uh, two things. One is just generally, I agree with with everything Carl said. You got to stay focused on uh, the task at hand. It, it, if you get too comfortable and you get sloppy, there's a lot of things that can happen that aren't good. And and this is this was sort of a sloppy moment, I would mm-hmm. say minimally. Um, and and obviously, the guy, you know, has some beliefs that are. That, that were not helpful to be broadcast anyway, but but then, he, you know, he made the—but but the other thing I'm thinking of, too, is the tendency that we have in—and in, this is not just in aviation, but it relates to sort of um, social media and media in general. You know, for instance, if you're sending a picture of yourself to someone privately on Twitter and you send it the wrong way, mm-hmm. um, suddenly you're no longer in, you know— you're, you're no longer in office politically these days, you know. Mm-hmm. So th- uh, yeah. we all – there's lots of – there's a lot of data flying around. There's a lot of stuff being done by people, you know, with, with media, with devices, with computers, online, whatever, in airplanes. And and if you – you know, you can cross the wires, and you, and you've got to be very careful, and we've got to stay focused. I mean, I reread emails a lot before I send them because I – you know i want to know i want to make sure i'm i'm typing it in right and i know where it's going or mm-hmm. or twitter posts or whatever and and occasionally you make you know you make mistakes but you want to minimize those so it fits in that kind of category of especially professionally let's 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 focus on the job at hand and mm-hmm. so uh it's a good reminder and and in terms of ga um Mostly, you know, for me, it ends up, you know, if it happens, I don't know that it has happened, except there might have been a time where I thought I was talking to myself and and keyed the mic instead or something. I don't know. But it never was anything that was a big issue. But Mm -hmm. I could see how it could happen very, very easily if you're not focused.
1: Now, what kind of uh, radios are in the equipment that you're flying? Do you have the, the Garmin system? Yes, Yes. Okay, because at least for you know, and this this applies to the aircraft we have at work too, Carl and I. But in the Garmin system, and there's a uh, you know there's a visual indication when you're transmitting. It says TX right next to the frequency, so that's something that you can sort of visually check um, when you're communicating or you've stopped communicating, and you know maybe even there's a long pause or something doesn't seem right. You know, I I reference my radio frequently, especially at work, uh, mm. because of this. We have so many different channels to communicate on, like Carlos saying in the cabin, and flight, um, you know, air traffic control, and other people. That I look frequently when I'm transmitting to see what the status is, whether I'm, you know, my transmission is currently going through. Um, and so that was that was something I thought I'd brought up too. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there is a visual indication, at least in the Garmin system.
3: Yeah, that in fact that's. Um... That's something you learn to look for if you make a call and you don't hear anything back.
1: Right. Um,
3: you know, you, you, you know, are they transmitting? Do I just mm-hmm. have the volume down? You know what? So it is, especially on the, especially after startup on the ground. That's an often a moment where I'll make sure I see that indication mm-hmm. um, to know if you know, am I on the right frequency? Did they hear me? And are they and are they talking back? So, mm-hmm.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, interesting, uh, Victoria. Your thoughts on the uh, the stuck mic tirade, as the news puts it.
2: You know, I did my most embarrassing uh, stuck mic once. Was Actually, I was pulling back on landing, trying to get this perfect flare. And I'm very small and skinny, so the the airplane can be quite heavy. And I was pulling back, and I made this noise and didn't realize... I had my finger <laughs> on the button, and all of a sudden, Tower was just laughing, and they were like, what was that? And I was like, uh, sick passenger.
4: <laughs> like, I-, I couldn't hide it.
2: It was me. <laughs> have any uh, comments per se but i would wonder um you know len and carl from a professional standpoint if you were flying with you know a wild card like this how would you handle the situation how would that's you, a great question tell them to you know shut it
4: mm-hmm. well um len if you don't mind I'll, i yeah, actually go ahead. uh the you know I, I actually do some work with the union we have a uh, a whole committee uh designed and uh and actually works with professional development here and it's called professional standards. And one of the first things I've I've actually done this in the past is I will if I do not know how to handle a situation, which at the time I didn't with this one person that was acting unprofessionally, I called them and I said, listen, before I say anything stupid and before I do anything stupid, I want to just bounce this you know, back against you and say, hey listen, what do I do? What do I, how do I approach this person? And they said, you know, it was great. They said, you're putting, they told me to tell that person you're putting me in a really awkward position and this is why. And uh, that's what I did and it, it worked out great. Um, it uh, wasn't to this this level here. I think I probably in this instance would have landed in and said, "Hey, listen, you got to find someone else to fly with this person because I don't I don't want to work with them anymore." Mm-hmm. And that's what I would do. But first, I I in our we have a, you know of course a, a union that uh, we have people at the union that work uh, within the Pro Standards Committee, and that's the first person I would go to if I couldn't figure out how to handle it myself.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know you know what you would do, Len, but uh, probably something similar. I mean, fortunately, I haven't necessarily been placed in i would say any instances that have been maybe as exaggerated as this one that's been going on um you know in the media Uh, occasionally you fly with somebody who's got a heavy opinion here and there but uh, you know it's It's usually a one time thing or something's been mentioned real quick. Um and and so I haven't really ever had to come to a standpoint where I've said to somebody, Hey, you know, either you're really making me uncomfortable or you're really being inappropriate. Uh for the most part guys I've flown with guys and gals I've flown with, you know, know how to keep in line and keep it you know, keep their some of their comments in check. So fortunately I haven't really had to deal with it. But I would agree with caller, you know, if you if you if you're coming up in in our situation, a circumstance like that, it, I'm probably going to be uncomfortable in a situation if somebody's being really, really derogatory, or it's just making me, you know, not you know not comfortable at all. I would probably have to say something to them first, and then you know my next recourse would be go into professional standards and saying that you know this this person uh, is being you know could could maybe benefit from uh, from a conversation or a reminder of a level of professionalism. It's interesting. A while ago, one thing that they used to do at our employer is they used to have a program that, that uh, referenced three different colored cards. It was a red card, a yellow card, and a green card. Um, basically, you know, if you said red card or yellow card, you know, it meant that you were starting to toe the line a little bit. And you know, we kind of joke about it now after the fact, but it, you know, it's kind of it was something that sort of helped us gauge. Conversations and whether or not the level of appropriateness and professionalism in the cockpit you know Len, to
4: add to that and i, I think that program was taken out because too many people were were joking about it yeah et they were
1: they really and, were and, <laughs> and
4: that, it really it, it was a bit of a failure maybe another another way it would have been better you know instead so of the cards et cetera and uh because it really was a flop but uh you know the the intent was good and, and yes. I think they're they're really if they put something else in the place it it would have been better but uh you know going back to that whole level of professionalism and what to do that we're discussing you know in in the case that I was discussing I didn't have much of a choice I mean we were sent for a drug alcohol test uh this is how how inappropriate the actions were of this individual. Wow. And that doesn't normally happen. That's a probable cause. And that doesn't happen very often Mm -hmm. and shouldn't. But you know what? We've all done some really stupid things. I, I just did something really dumb. And I, you know, I keep running it over and over and over in my head and say, God, why did I do that? I could share it real quickly. It's, you know, I was, uh, we parked at the gate, and I was super tired, so I asked the first officer if they could get out and get me the paperwork, because I was gonna take a nap, and you know it can take 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. to deplane. That's all I needed to do. So I loosened my tie and I laid back, closed my eyes, and I kind of woke up like five, 10 minutes later. And i coming out of the cockpit and I see that there's a flight attendant from uh, the, the next, for the next flight. And uh, she says, oh boy, you, you, know, you look really relaxed. I says, yeah, I just woke up. And unfortunately, I had thought that everybody was off the jetway when I said this. And right around the corner, as I see that, I see some ladies' eyes just get really wide. I was like, oh, my God. And then I had to say, you know, no, don't. That's the whole wrong impression you just got. I was parked at the gate here for a minute, and I had to take a little nap. And then that's what happened. But I just, it was hard. I just could She's like, oh, yeah, sure. Sleeping on the job, are you? Wow. Like, well, well, I won't do that one again. I mean that was <laughs> incredible. I mean, there are so many embarrassing moments we have, and that was just was one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. I mean it was it wasn't as bad as when I tore my pants in front of the lady in one A. <laughs> but this was just this was this, this was one that I, I keep running back over in my mind. What could I have done different? You know, in that case I couldn't have done anything. <laughs>
1: <Love it. laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I actually about the same time, almost made my my what I call the rookie mistake because when I was new, I made this mistake a few times. But in our in our uh, in our before takeoff checklist, there's a portion of the checklist where we notify the flight attendant and the cabin crew to please be seated for departure. No, <laughs> and you know you have to click over on our comm panel. There's a there's another button to push to make a passenger you know an announcement in the passenger uh, cabin, and. Yeah, I've probably done it 3 or 4 times for getting to make that switch back over to the air traffic control comm and like Carl said earlier in the discussion made that transmission cleared for takeoff, runway, etc., you know, over the PA and I I almost did it the other day. I keyed the mic and I said clear for and I'm looking and I'm like first it didn't sound right and I was looking at my comm panel and it was still on in the passenger mode, so I was like, "Oh crap!" So I quick, you know, I quickly let off. I didn't say the whole thing, and then, and then clicked over. But it's been a while since I've done that. Um, you know, I try, I try to. I have a lot of visual cues in the in the airplane that I do out of habit and ritual. When you make a mistake, that I always touch things and look and see what I'm doing and verify like two or three times to try and break myself from uh, from making those kinds of silly mistakes. So, um, well, yeah, interesting uh, interesting topic nonetheless. I guess uh, at this point we haven't really – well, I think the last thing I heard was they were potentially – well, the, somebody had recommended maybe they were going to have some sort of sensitivity training, and then I think the last thing I heard in the media was that the pilot was going to be or had been suspended temporarily. Uh, anybody heard any other further updates? I just heard he
4: was reinstated, okay. and that was just about an hour ago okay. that I got that. So uh, yeah, they, he went to the training and apologized to everybody, the controllers, coworkers, etc. And he's been reinstated. Is that? Does everybody else agree with that? Have they I, I, I
3: agree. I think I remembered knowing he was gone and then back, but, mm-hmm. that, but I, don't, I don't know anything more than that.
0: Now entering cruise flight.
1: Moving right along. Now that we've got some of the the fun couple of issues out of the the, uh, the couple of topics out of the front, we'll go into the. The meat of the conversation for this uh, for this episode. Um, then another email listener, or a li- listener email, excuse me, was uh, and this is something we we're going to just talk about real briefly. This particular question, but Ron asked if there was any good scenario based private pilot syllabuses. Uh, we talked a little bit offline about what what we thought was out there. Uh, Rick, go ahead, or excuse me, not Rick, um, Carl. Sh- why don't you let us know? What's your experience has been just real briefly with uh,
4: with that well yeah, and just to recap like, like we talked about before, the scenario based training is is basically real world examples that we can give to people uh, during their training, and uh, even in in minute maneuvers like turns around a point as turns around a, a road, how can we actually put that into a real world situation? The things that I've found uh, briefly uh, there's a couple of of great uh, books and uh, and papers out there on the FAA website, downloadable, but one that I I like that it just started, and I I so far like it a lot, is uh, it's called Train Like You Fly, A Flight Instructor's Guide to Scenario Based Training. And it's uh, by a a flight instructor, first name's Arlen, and she uh, is a flight instructor at Lexington Airport and was the uh, 2009 Flight Instructor of the Year. Now, what she's also done is she's coming out with another book, and I think it's out in November. It's called Lesson Plans to Train Like You Fly, a flight mm-hmm. instructor's reference for a scenario-based training. And uh, she's actually going to put together some lesson plans as far as scenario-based training is concerned. But you know what I have done, again, is just I what I would do is I would put my own scenarios in there. But what she's going to do is she's going to take Uh, training and from what I understand in the area she she is in and then say here's A, B, and C the different things that could have been uh, addressed or or that decisions that could have been made in this scenario, and she shows you exactly uh, how you can put together a, a scenario-based training session for every single part of the syllabus. So that'll be interesting to see, because everything else is just like what I'm doing now. It, it's, it's just talking about the philosophy and giving certain examples, and I think she's going to go through an actual, actual syllabus in each one, but the rest of the ones I've seen are not a complete syllabus like I think this one will be.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, and, and I've noted. I mean, I haven't done because scenario-based training is—it's still new. Uh, the FAA has been putting a lot of information out. You've, I think it's—it's it's really come around primarily in the last, I want to say, five or six years. It's started to come out uh, in in a whole new light and different people looking into how do you train more scenario-based. And um, so it's it's not something that personally I've had a lot of experience with teaching a student under those circumstances, but kind of like we were talking about a little bit earlier before we started recording this episode, uh, you know, scenario-based training is it's usually tailored a little bit. To each individual, depending on what areas they're strong in, what areas they're weak in, finding ways to really relate to, uh, you know, the purpose and the intent of a maneuver. Um, Carl had mentioned offline when we were talking. You know, why do, why am I doing this turnaround a point? Well, you know, if you're doing a turnaround a point, you've learned this lesson. You know, what's the scenario I might use this? And well, you might. You know, you might have a photo, uh, you might be doing a photo flight, and you're like, hey, I'd like to take a, a, a photo of something on the ground there. And so you can take the training that you've used, here's a scenario that it would apply in, and, you know, that's sort of an example of how it works. Um, but, yeah, for, uh, we'll put the book in the show notes, and, um, you know, other than that, you know, for a specific syllabus, uh, you know, I think it's like, we, uh, I think we're all at the tentative agreement that it's, it's kind of... Uh, you know personalized if you will so it's kind of hard to find something that fits everybody's needs
4: but I, i'd love to hear from anybody that has a syllabus that they use or a specific one maybe that they know about if and uh, some reader could write in i'd, I'd love to hear about it because it, it's it's kind of hard to find when you're looking at it yeah you know, true from, uh, from the internet and all
1: true so if, uh, you know you can leave a comment on the on the website with this episode or send us an email stuck at gmail or hit us up on twitter with your comments um Anything and there's else not add? much
4: out there. You know, if you just do a search on it, scenario-based training, there's not a whole bunch out there. That's why this I, I really like Arlen's book. Is, she does a great job so far of, of explaining that.
1: Awesome. Um, how about, um, you know, Rick or Victoria, have you had any experience doing any lessons that were scenario-based in the last uh, couple years?
2: I had Hi. a few recently. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um Yeah, we were out doing uh, practicing for my commercial, and we were doing all the commercial maneuvers, went out into the practice field, you know, I'm circling this way, circling that way, climbing and descending, so, you know, totally wasn't paying attention to where I was going, you know, kind of relying on my instructor to do that, since he's telling me what maneuver to do and when, and then he goes, well, where are you? You know i want to get to this airport now and it's kind of like oh, okay so i gotta go unfold my sectional and you know figure out where i'm at and uh take a look at everything so i wasn't allowed to use the direct to button um <sighs> and so i think that's a great thing because it kind of shows you know if you're going to take pictures over your house or something and you're not paying attention to where you're at you could run into you know some restricted airspace or something for example so that was what i would consider some scenario-based training that Proved to be pretty helpful.
4: Excellent,
3: Rick. You had something yeah. to add? Actually, I didn't. I was going to say I don't have much to add. Oh, okay. in that <laughs> other than other than that, I think that may have been something that was lacking, or my the, the teachers, the CFIs I had. Um, you know, it, I guess I never got some of the some of the ideas of oh, here's how this would apply. I mean, I did a bit, but it was never really, um, it wasn't featured. And I read more about it as I was finishing up training that there was this uh, sort of growing approach out there. So it sounds cool. And, uh, you know, I get why it works. All
4: right, great. You you know, Len, also on this topic, Mm -hmm. if I could maybe put a challenge out to all those CFIs that are listening right now. that Next time you, uh, before your next lesson with your student, you know, ask yourself first... You know, what? what is this person going to do with their license? And then go to them and ask them, what are you going to do with your license? Mm-hmm. And then when you find that out, you say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to tailor our training to your, your special needs. You're going to start flying to this airport, and the airport's in class, Bravo Airspace, and we've never been there. Oh, boy, I better start working with this we better start going to, to class bravo airspace and that's where and then give him scenarios as to what they're, they're, he's going to hear along the way and what he's going to do and you know we had an episode where we talked about going around you know class bravo airspace mm-hmm. at, uh, one of rick's flights but if if any of the instructors are listening they should uh, i think that's one of the best things to do is is just think about it and ask you you know what is this student getting out of this or what do i think his outcome should be and what they are they going to use this training for and then just ask them and, mm. and then come up with a scenario that's gonna help them in their future flying because they're gonna be flying their kids, their friends, and their family around that airspace.
1: Right, good point, good point. Um, all right, cool, Well, we'll move on. Uh, actually, Ron had sent us in a uh, another question. Uh, he says, um, you know, there's a conflict between teaching stabilized approaches and staying high during the case of an engine failure. Any thoughts? as to resolve that apparent conflict uh, he was he, you know he's wondering or am i just supposed to basically do a a chop and drop um, <clears throat> you know it it 's funny it 's funny, Carl because you know a stabilized approach has its place, but you know an emergency is an emergency so what do you what do you, you, you how would you like well, to start that it,
4: one I, I, this is something that was told to me a long time ago by by my first boss in, at the flight school, and he says, "You know what you trust your engine while you 're taking off you should trust it while you 're landing and i mm-hmm. said okay that 's true that 's true and and we should try to have more stabilized approaches, but uh, I understand, I think, where he's coming from uh, with this is, you know, I also as an instructor have said, you know, where are we going? Are we going on across country or are we staying in the pattern? You know, are we going to go over here and land at this airport or the one that's 50 miles away? You know, jokingly, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I think that's what really the instructor might be saying is always try to keep yourself close enough to the airport so that you can glide in for a landing. Uh, a stabilized approach can also be... Uh, with the engine at idle uh, right. that we can do a state because in when i was flying gliders we always were at idle well we didn't have any power actually so we we would land and we would have a stabilized approach each time so i don't think those are mutually exclusive but uh i think that's what his the, or this person's instructor was trying to say you know this is mm-hmm. uh just make sure you have a landing spot picked out and if that's your choice to make a longer Approach that stabilized know that when your engine does quit you're not landing on the pavement in front of you you might mm-hmm. be landing in the field next to you
1: right and uh, to kind of give a general description of what a really a stabilized approach is uh, something that we use at work is basically being in a position for a continuous descent to landing where you're not making aggressive configuration changes or power changes uh, we use a roughly below um, Anywhere from 500 to thousand feet depending on if it's VFR conditions or IFR conditions. So from that point standpoint, you know a stabilized approach if you've you know if you've lost the engine uh, you know, depending on where where you've had the emergency or the power plant failure, you may have to have to alter your you know your intentions there. So uh, Ricker, um, Victoria, any comments on training for stabilized approaches or engine out procedures?
2: prefer, you know, I think it depends on the type of aircraft. Yeah. If you're in a glider or if you're in an airplane that just drops when, you know, you have no engine. Mm Um, I kind of was thinking about this yesterday, actually, we were coming back into land and we were on downwind along with another Cessna and, um, the Cessna has a much better glide ratio and they had a pretty far out pattern compared to what we were doing. And Mm -hmm. it just kind of got me thinking, um, you know, about if our engine died and if their engine died at the same time, would we both be making it hmm. to the runway okay? Because mm-hmm. um, he was so far out and we were close in. But, you know, if the power goes on the aircraft we were flying, it drops. So, you know, I, th- I think it's kind of based on what you're flying. I would prefer just to stay closer because, you know, why if you're so close to an airport, you know, that's I think it just feels safer. Mm
1: hmm
3: but i get I get the question if you're if you're approaching an airport in in a direction where you don't really enter the pattern, it's a straight in you know the towered field and you get cleared straight in you know you if you, if in theory if you're doing it right, you establish a stabilized approach you know slow just like just like you guys do professionally and mm-hmm. and um and that just feels like the right thing to do rather than rather than staying high and making a more aggressive motion later. Um, and that's, I guess, what Carl's saying. Trust the engine right. uh, in that scenario. Um, and, and and it does depend on your glide ratio. But I know that in the Cirrus, it, on those kind of approaches, if I suddenly lost the engine, I, I would not get there. Um, yeah. because, versus, say, that Cessna, where where I might have a better chance.
1: Yeah, and I've been in a couple of different GA airplanes. One of them was a, a T-tail arrow, actually, that uh, basically once that engine wasn't Producing enough uh, forward thrust, the, it, the airplane liked to just fall out of the sky. Uh, you know, I didn't. I I didn't really not appreciate flying that airplane. Um, you know, with students working on power off landings, because it didn't. It had the glide ratio of a brick, as far as I was concerned. <laughs>
2: Someone once told me that uh, the arrow uh, lands like a sewer lid. And once I flew it, I totally agreed with the analogy.
1: <laughs> was it a regular arrow or like the T-tail arrow?
2: It was a regular arrow. It was okay. not a T-tail.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought that I, str- you know, I had more performance issues with the T-tail version itself, but. Uh... Yeah, that's actually an interesting little short segue. T-tail aircraft fly a little differently. Uh, you know, the, the airflow is different um, coming off of the uh, around the fuselage. And uh, this particular one that I flew, yeah, was it didn't it didn't like to stay aloft when the engine was quit. So um, always pitch for your best glide speed, no matter what's going to happen. Do not uh, do not bring that nose up. You'll you know you could stall the aircraft, spin at a low altitude. You're better to. In a power-off situation, better to maintain that safe speed and land in an undesirable location than you are to lose control of the aircraft low, low above the ground. So... um all right, great guys. Uh, well, the next comment, uh, actually, this one wasn't even so much just a question, but in uh, I think it was episode number two, Rick had shared a product with us that he uses, US AirNet, a weather product, and another gentleman, Bill, wrote in um, a weather product that he uses by the National Weather Service. It's it's a it's a graphic depiction weather. If you're listening to the uh, to this podcast right now on uh, one of your iOS devices or iTunes and if you look at your screen right now you'll see the link for this weather service, otherwise for the rest uh, for the rest of the folks out there, you can see it in the show notes. Um, but the bill says that he uses this to look forward in time and see the wind, sky cover, dew point, and similar data, but in a different pre- graphical presentation yeah, it's, than uh, US AirNet. Did you have have a yeah. look at it there, Rick? Yeah, I did. It's great. I mean, it,
3: it. I would I would say that I like it. In addition, and I and I'm mm-hmm. going to start using it um, along with it. There's a it's. Um, there's much there's much more information and you can i think page it out a little farther than the one I, the one i was looking to looking at uh, referencing the is uh, basically three think three days and it's only every 3 hours or so forgotten exactly the number but this looks like i'm looking at it now it's like every hour um and it has gusts which the one the product i was talking about did not have which um You know, for for me as as a you know low time GA pilot, I I pay attention. Everyone does, but I mean, I probably pay attention at at a smaller Mm -hmm. at a smaller level gust than some people do. So, and that's nice to have that. Um, And and the hourly thing is great. Uh, The other one I I have uh, that I pointed out has a little quick view visibility likely visibility uh, row, which is kind of cool. And I don't necessarily see that on here um as well as um a quick glance uh, perspective you know possible ceiling height mm-hmm. which also for me is a nice thing to be able to judge you know what kind of flight i'm going to take uh, that day so um so yeah i check out the link go look at it i think it's a great thing and um you know and i would use any and all sources of information and mm-hmm. this is a good one
1: yeah it's neat i like the i like the depiction the graphical format just uh, like bill was mentioning in his description, his email—it's uh, it's definitely interesting. I, I don't know if uh, Victoria or Carl have had a chance to take a peek at it yet.
4: I'm uh, just no, looking yet. at it right now, actually, but okay. uh, no, not yet.
1: Okay. Well, great. Uh, so, appreciate. Thanks for writing in, Bill. Um, and in fact, thanks for everybody who's wrote in, who's written in so far with their questions and comments and additions. Uh, we do have one more um, question. Jason uh, wanted uh, some 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 comments basically on operating a turbocharged piston aircraft. Uh, he currently owns a Cherokee 6, and he says he's thinking about upgrading or downgrading, whichever way you want to look at it, depending on, on the transition. But making a transition to a turbo arrow at a later time, he says when uh, when some of his kids go off to college, you won't need the Cherokee 6 for the, uh, for the size. So as far as operating a turbocharged piston aircraft, generally um you know there's some obvious advantages to it you do have uh the ability to cr- obviously create more uh the sea level power settings to a higher altitude which does get you a little bit more performance um the one i think really the only big downside that i've generally heard is there's there tends to be a little bit more more higher maintenance costs uh what have you what do you know about that carl
4: well you know i have i have some pretty uh strong opinions since we've been looking for one actually Mm -hmm. okay Um, great so i there's there's three things and i've always told people when they're looking for any kind of a an airplane it's the pilot the plane and the mission again the pilot Uh, are you one that's going to operate a turbocharged aircraft and have you had training in it because you know you can really what's called over boost the engine basically mm-hmm. put too much pressure on those cylinders and you, you can really add a lot of heat to those elements and do you know how to operate a turbocharged aircraft properly so that's the pilot part that means mm-hmm. what you need means you need to get some training mm-hmm. and the other thing is the plane you know there's, we were talk, he was talking. I think about an arrow. Yes, and in this particular. I've, arrow. I've heard good and bad things about the the arrow, the turbocharged one, that is, and uh, but in general, turbocharged aircraft, depending on how the pilot uh, actually operates it, and also the design, the actual airplane or the and the engine, it uh, it actually can be great, and also uh... one of the things we need to look at is the mission for instance if you're gonna be flying around uh... like i find i like to go low and slow all the time there is no reason really to have a turbocharged engine It True. really sh- it and and what's interesting is that with that turbocharge, if you're doing cross countries, is in reality you're going to go faster not because of the speed of the aircraft, but you can take advantage of those really strong tailwinds. Now there is, and I'd like to put this in the show notes. There's an excellent article, and I finally found it. It's by and when I started doing my analysis of turbocharged, non-turbocharged, uh, it's his name is Mike Bush. He wrote a great article about uh, um, you know whether the the Advantages and disadvantages of turbocharging. Mike Bush is actually, you know, he's the editor in chief of AvWeb. Okay. And he also has IFR uh, Consumer or Consumer Aviation and IFR Magazine, I think are the titles. And uh, we'll put a link on there to the show in the show notes about that. But mm-hmm. it was written back in the, the late 90s. He's a big proponent of turbocharged engines, and he, in his article, does. Uh, a great job of explaining just like what i was saying much more eloquently he talks about how it's all about again the person who's operating that mm-hmm. that aircraft if you're a, a ham-fisted pilot and gosh maybe you should stay away from a, a turbocharged engine you know we were looking at this also with the uh you know we have partners in our aircraft and moving on to a turbocharged engine if you have uh some less experienced partners you uh you might want to think twice about that. Mm-hmm. And you may even have problems with the insurance. The other point that, that's brought up in, uh, in this article and, and something that we experienced is, gosh, what are we going to do about oxygen? You know, the, you you have uh, oxygen masks, and right. uh, so you may need another system in your aircraft. Of course, you can have pressurization, mm-hmm. but uh, the real cool thing about it, though, is turbocharging gets you above all that weather and above all those bumps, especially when you're flying in those mm-hmm. those hotter environments. And mm-hmm. uh, and also, you're out of the ice quicker.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So that's those are the three things again: pilot, the plane, and the mission. You know, those are the things you got to look at. But uh, excellent articles out there about the differences. Yeah, that's and, a good and,
1: point. I've noticed when flying. Uh, in fact, I've kind of made them. It just reminded me when I was flying the, uh, the 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 Piper 6X recently that you know it will produce full power up until about six 000, seven thousand feet, and then anything over that, then you're starting to lose. You're taking that reduction in manifold pressure. Um, you know, I, I've, I'm familiar with the Jason who wrote this in. I know he lives out in the East Coast here, and you know if he's not necessarily going to be flying in higher terrain, uh, you know, that could be one reason to make a decision to a turbocharged aircraft to be able to, like Carl said, fly above the weather or even the terrain if you're flying out in the Midwest or Western parts of the US here where mountains can go up to, you know, 10, 12,000 feet and you're flying at fourteen thousand in a in a single engine or twin engine piston airplane, that could be another reason to, to consider a option for a turbocharged aircraft or not. Um, but yeah there are some operational things that go into it, being a being able to understand what the turbocharger is going to do, and that and it, it's you, you have to learn how to use the turbocharger, not so much as relearning how to fly the airplane. But there are some, some new considerations to understand so that you don't, like Carl said, overboost the engine, which can cause, uh, you know, detriment to it and, and basically pilot induced maintenance at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, good point. Excellent. Well, uh, anything to add for that for Rick or Carl or um, Rick or Victoria?
2: Nope. Nope. Oh, good here.
4: Okay, hey, you know one more thing I forgot to to mention on the turbocharged engines, mm-hmm. and this is something that we came across is is your uh, intercoolers, and yes, uh, basically it, it's it, there's cooler air going into the engine, so therefore you get more power out of it. Uh, they that's another sticking point when you're looking at a turbocharged engine. Is this an aftermarket? Do they have mm-hmm. an STC? Right. People know how to fix it and. Uh, there are some good ones out there, but uh, you've got to be real careful. So basically saying do your homework, mm-hmm. you know, really, really do your homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we actually have hired uh, someone to a uh, maintenance company to uh, look into. Uh, actually, Savvy Aircraft Maintenance, we've hired them. They're terrific, and they can help us with the pre-purchase, and they've given us all the advice, you know, concerning whether we want to go turbocharged or not. Mm-hmm. No, so there's. It's well worth it. If you spend a few thousand dollars extra looking for a turbocharged engine, and uh, you realize it's not for you, you may have s- saved yourself maybe thirty, forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars down the road. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Our picks of the week.
1: Moving on now into the latter portion of the show. It's our fa- my favorite part, at least. I think everybody else enjoys it as well. But it's the picks of the week. And uh, once again, since this is still fresh and new in our episodes, the picks of the week is where the co-hosts and I sit down and. We found something that's aviation-related, a product, a website, anything that we feel is worthy of being recommended or shared here on the podcast. Uh, So why don't we go ahead this evening and go with uh, Victoria first this evening. What did you have to share?
2: Um, My favorite um, go-to website lately has been adventurepilot.com. And it's been very helpful if we want to fly somewhere for the weekend but are not really sure where to. You can just type in your home airport, type in a radius that you're willing to fly. And um, it's all user-contributed. People just plop in places they've been, give them reviews. So anything Mm -hmm. from $100 hamburgers, you can search for places with camping, you can search places with skiing nearby, hiking, um, you can search for events. Um, It's been very helpful, and uh, it's free membership. Um, You can view a lot of the things without even logging in, um, but you need to have... have, um, membership in order to place comments and reviews and then there's a premium membership for $38 per year. I'm not really sure what that gets you, but mm-hmm. I've been very happy with the free version.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Uh yeah, we had talked about, I think, in episode two, a couple other places, funplacestofly.com.
2: Use that one, yep.
1: Yep, yeah, and uh, what was the other one, funplacestofly, and uh, flytolunch.com was actually one that uh, that Jill had recommended. Um, I think she had, she uses that to find places to go. So there's a lot of things out there. There's another one, there's an application that's just, the name of it is is failing my memory at the moment, but something similar to what you were talking about, Adventure Pilot, just put in... <laughs> your, uh, location and radius you want to go. So that's pretty cool. Um, did you use that to actually decide on where you wanted to go last weekend when you went down to Ocracoke?
2: Um, you know what? I don't know. I have a list of about a hundred places I need to fly to. <laughs> I I'm need to fly to, to check them off, but, uh, adventure <laughs> pilot has been probably my go-to place lately okay. for at least for a hundred dollar hamburgers. Cool. And I have about 40 of those to do.
4: So <laughs>
3: Very cool. It's cool. I've been, I'm have i looking at it right now. I'm going to use it. It's great.
2: Yeah, try it out. You'll. I think you'll like it.
3: Yeah. Awesome.
1: Um, all right, Rick, how about uh,
3: what did you have to share with us this week? Well, mine is a uh, gadget, sort of, a gadget for a gadget. It's um, something that a few people know I've been using. And, you know, I don't know if it's the perfect answer for everyone, and and I don't know what I'll do for this the next time I get another, you know, when I upgrade my iPad at some point. But it is a device that lets you strap the iPad to your, um, to your leg as a knee board. And, uh, the, the URL is called is handy holder, dot mm-hmm. com, And, um, It's a, just describe it, it's a, it's, the the downside for me is, is I, as I actually hesitate to ever do this to to anything I own, but I, you do stick something to the backside, the back surface uh, of your uh, iPad, it's a ring um, of interlocking. It's it's kind of like a, a super duper Velcro. It's I'm not sure I've forgotten who their product manufacturer is, but it's it's a it's a major. It's kind of like the stuff that you stick those automatic uh, toll paying devices to mm-hmm. your car window with very firm grab, and that's that gets stuck to the back of the um, the iPad. And then the other piece that's the key operating piece is a circular ring that attaches to that that spins, and that is also then attached to a strap. So basically, you can imagine uh, your your tablet or your iPad on your on your your thigh you can then rotate it into landscape or portrait mode while it's attached to your leg and it's also attached to your leg so that combination i thought was 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 pretty cool and it works it works great the the challenge is to figure out what kind of a uh, case you want to use and mod with it, because basically you do have to cut a hole in the back of whatever case mm-hmm. you're using. If you're using a case, um, I tend to use one because I like to also still use paper for a lot of things. It's still more convenient to write on paper than it is mm-hmm. on some electronic device. So I usually have something that has a lid, so I can clip paper to it and get that out of the way as I'm using it. So, and and what's funny is I first had seen this uh, in some other context, and he they had they had a hand. Version uh, they had designed as their first prototype, and I, I got in touch with the guy, and I said, you know, there's there's a market out there if you can put out the right stuff to make it a, a thigh version as well, and um, so he we I I don't I don't have any stake in the company, but we I you know we worked back and forth on it, and <laughs> and um, you know he's got it there on the website, and in fact I think the picture of the iPad and thigh are is my thigh and my iPad in my plane. So on his website, so uh, you know it, it's not for everybody, but I I like it and I'm I'm glad I've been using it. So it's oh, the handy cool. holder for uh,
1: iPad kneeboard. Awesome. So Rick has a famous thigh on the internet. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> it's famous
3: thigh. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh dear, <laughs> it's rather embarrassing. <laughs> was that, Was this mic on when I said that? <laughs>
4: Very cool. That's I mean, neat. Rick, if yeah. you decide someday to get rid of your handy holder, how hard is it going to be to take that sticky stuff it's, off?
3: It's not. Apparently, it comes off but destroys the sticky stuff. So okay. you, can, you can get it off because I asked that question before I defaced my, <laughs> uh, my wife's soon-to-be you know, hand-me-down iPad. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so I haven't tried it yet, but I'm told it comes off. But you can't use it. It's not a reuse thing. But they sell those separately so you could make use of the spinning part. The other thing they do that's interesting is that spinning part, they make mounts that that slips into that will hold your iPad on your desk and let you rotate it Mm -hmm. so that it holds it at an angle in front of you like a computer screen and you can use the device to spin it in place you know when you're not flying it's kind of helpful that way i've not gone to i've not done that part of the product line yet but uh but you know it's kind of an interesting little thing lots of these out there lots of different people trying different approaches so Mm -hmm. i would be interested in hearing other people's thoughts about what they're using uh and how successful those uh, other devices are right
1: good deal uh carl what did you have for us today
4: well, I'm kind of going old school, new school here. Uh, you, you know, Victoria was talking about uh, AdventurePilot.com. Well, uh, I wanted to mention one that I still use, I still go back to, maybe because it's one of the first ones I looked at. Uh, when I'm looking for a $100 hamburger, I go to AirNav.com. And the reason I go there is, number one, I can, I can look at it, get a general overview of the airport and everything uh, associated instrument approach plates, taxiway diagrams. An aerial photo is uh, also incorporated into most of these. I can punch in how long, how far uh, I need to go to get to the airport, if I need to quickly figure out if it's across country for a student, et cetera. It automatically pulls everything up for me. The part that I really, really like and... Um, Something that I'm now going to look into with Adventure Pilot and these other ones that you've mentioned is the reviews that they have on where to eat at the bottom of the page. And I've noticed that when something changes, they do change it fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ran into that just recently where I was going to Venice uh, Airport, and there was, I was going to go have breakfast at the Cockpit Cafe. Well, Someone said it's no longer there, so I went on here and I was able to find it, and they actually have links to all the websites, et cetera. The thing that, again, I like about it, it's kind of old school. It's very plain. It's a big white screen. I look like I'm looking at a piece of paper, and uh, it's it's very, very, very simple. It's kind of like a, a Craigslist almost uh, type of look to it You know, where you just quick punch it in and go. Um, and this again has those reviews on there, which I really like too but uh but i i the other thing that I really like too is that when I pull up the charts it 's the current chart mm-hmm. uh, and i haven 't had it run into a problem where it was not the current instrument approach procedure, so before you go, you can pull that up and actually print that out. And, uh, and it make yourself a little kneeboard for that airport, you know, printout kneeboard type of thing for notes. So airnav.com, I know a lot of you have seen it already, but uh, they also have a uh, – and I haven't tried it yet. That's what I'm going to try next is their uh, iPhone app. I don't know if anybody else has used that yet, but I'm going to try that one out. And hopefully I'll be able to review that uh, next time. I know that uh, on the iPhone app, though, it's $4.99 a year. So airnav.com. I don't even simple think and easy. I we even actually
2: think. used that the other day. Um, we flew into Kitty Hawk and wanted to get lunch and searched through all the uh, comments and reviews of the airport and found a place to eat. So cool. it's a very useful tool.
3: Yeah, I didn't know they had. I didn't know they had an app. And, and yeah, that's what uh, I was going to say. It's, <laughs> it's boy, air nap. What? Down, Downrick, <laughs> <laughs> down, he's on down. there. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking <laughs> now. I've like, already used it. No, um, but there's uh, yeah, like there's gas prices. All that stuff is in there. I know oh, yeah. that's incorporated in some of these other uh, apps, but that's
2: pretty cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Cool. They have a cheap gas finder. If you're speaking of gas prices, um, if you're planning a trip, AirNav is a good place to go pop in your route and how much uh, your range is and they'll tell you great places to get gas along the way with the cheapest prices
1: mm-hmm. cool yeah i've used them before looking at see going on long cross countries where uh i mean you can find i've found some places there you know as much as a dollar two dollars difference in gallon uh, you know per gallon of avgas if you just go off course a few degrees or a few miles and stop at a smaller airport so it's definitely well worth to look at you know for fuel too so uh well, my pick of the week is uh, it 's not something i 've actually had the opportunity to try but it 's the in flight cam plus. Uh, this is Ooh. yeah I know Rick. I, I shared <laughs> this with Rick earlier but uh, this uh, this camera is uh, it's basically a new release of a familiar product that they have and and the in-flight cam is the the base product is the Contour HD camera and in-flight uh, took it one one level further and included uh, their original design some GPS internal GPS tracking abilities and a way to hardwire the audio into your aircraft inner. So not only could you record video, your GPS position, latitude, longitude, and altitude, but also your your aircraft uh, transmission. The Plus Edition basically takes all of the features of the the other models and incorporates them into one with one extra additional benefit. They have a new lens on front, which now... um, Will prevent prop blurring and prop arcing. Uh, and for some of the for some of the folks out there, if you've ever seen uh, some of the videos on YouTube, if you're looking through, depending on what kind of camera equipment the person utilized, you might see it looks like you know black black streaks going through the screen that's actually the camera uh, the the type of lens that the camera is using some of them pick up that prop and it causes that blurring and arcing this new plus model by Inflight cam actually gets rid of that they have a new lens on front and and I was actually pretty excited cuz for i guess if you will for like a all encompassing one piece of equipment that will do so many things um if you like having a point of view camera something small that you can mount or attach or wear i was actually very impressed with the new upgrade and now it it, it, i've commented that i think it may be my new one-stop camera um and i'm considering upgrading or actually purchasing one what are your thoughts rick well it
3: looks great and i and after reading about it i agree it's you know it's it's I will say it's in the price range of the nicer cameras that, from what I've seen, tend to be able to uh, remove that artifacting. And I think I'll just I'll say that after this came out that same day, a bunch of us on Twitter had had one of those chain conversations you tend to have uh, about. That problem the the prop uh, arc and and the you know artifacting I call it and 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 we all did some homework and i 've learned a lot about what actually causes that and these guys clearly have right have the right it involves sensors and it involves mm-hmm. shutters and and we can maybe do a segment sometime on this show about what what a few of us learned the other day because there are some cameras out there that will always get that and there are, there are others that won't and and I think we've narrowed down to why that occurs mm-hmm. so maybe I can talk about that you know more in the future but this product looks really good now I don't I I believe this is the one also that lets you is this the one where you can upload your data to their website sort of as a way to to log your flights? Is that, is that this right? Product?
1: Yeah, they do have the ability to upload. In fact, I'm not familiar with the software, but if you upload it to their site, I believe that's, I don't know if it's the only method, but I know that's one method where you'll get that GPS tracking that's been recorded from the device itself. If yeah, you're I mean, editing, you know, in like iMovie or Final Cut or something on a PC, I don't know where that GPS tracking information, you know, where, that inf- where it, yeah. it lies, but... One, um,
3: one would hope you could offload that separately and drop it into Google Maps. But what's interesting about this online thing is I think when you hit play on the video, the map tracks you at the same time on right, the screen, so, correct? Which, which is pretty neat. If if you want to, you know, enter into their your ecosystem, and 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 I think you have to pay them a, a fee, right? Monthly kind of fee for that access, but um, e- but you don't have to do that. And the and the camera is a pretty cool thing, and it's small, and it's got a wide angle lens, which is really that's one of the big mm-hmm. biggest secrets for doing some some nice videography inside planes is make sure there's a wide angle on there, like GoPro and other things, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because then you you get more in your field of vision. But but this one seems to be better than GoPro in the sense that you don't get that that artifacting.
1: Yeah, in fact, I'm glad you brought up GoPro. Um, There's another product out there, the GoPro HD or GoPro Hero. Uh, Also a great camera. I don't really have a preference over one or the other. In fact, now that InFlight Cam Plus came out, I got to thinking if I was going to invest any money in some cockpit video equipment, I would probably get an InFlight Cam Plus for the uh forward looking video and maybe like two or three go pros to mount elsewhere in the airplane because i don't right. necessarily need you know the other the the other equipment doesn't have to have the special lens or special ability right. as long you know as long as you use the one that you want for for looking forward so i've actually yeah. been kicking that around over the last week maybe i would get you know an in-flight cam and two or three go pros and have a nice little setup um that's but, a
3: good uh, that's a good idea
1: yeah, because they all, they all work pretty well. A lot of a lot of folks out there using them, and especially a lot of our friends that that Rick and I know on Twitter are using uh, different variations of all this equipment, and they, they seem to to love uh, love the way it works. The after landing checklist. Yeah, this has uh, been episode five of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, again, an episode all about you and listener mail. We, we appreciate all the all the listeners that have uh, tweeted us or emailed us or sent their comments and questions in. Please continue to do so. Um, but for folks who want to get a hold of us, uh, take a few moments to just go ahead and give the information. Victoria, how can uh, folks get a hold of you?
2: Um, I'm on Twitter at ToriaFly, or uh, all my other contact info is on my blog, toriaflies.blogspot.com.
1: Awesome. Carl?
4: Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, expert at expertaviator, and you could also find me on my blog, expertaviator.com. Rick?
3: I'm R. Felty on Twitter, and I'm R. D. Felty on YouTube, and, I'm, and you can also uh, find me at uh, rickfelty.com.
1: Awesome. And I'm uh, available at thepilotreport.com or thepilotreport on Twitter and Facebook. And for, uh, for all of us here, Carl, Rick, Victoria, and myself, uh, Len Costa here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, it's been a real pleasure getting together and recording episode number five for you. You can reach us directly, StuckMikeAvcast.com. We're also StuckMikeAvcast on Twitter and Facebook. And we thank you all for tuning in to another episode, and we look forward to uh, to recording episode six for you here in the near future. So take care, everybody. Clear skies and calm winds.
0: a production.